Satan wanted more than anything for Jesus to fail. So he sent temptation after temptation. He placed obstacle after obstacle before Jesus. He sent people, circumstances, also to derail Jesus, also to turn him away from God's calling, also to ruin his reputation and to disqualify him for the work that he had come to do. But nothing would stick. You see, Jesus, in every temptation he faced, he acted with perfect faithfulness and integrity and loyalty and commitment to God. There was nothing that Satan threw in his way that would stick. Nothing worked until one day, Satan tempted one of Jesus' disciples with money. And so Thursday... Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Friday, Jesus was condemned to die. He was struck, whipped, crucified, and he died, and he was buried. Satan was so pleased with himself when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I imagine he laughed when he heard that. But then Jesus said something just before he died that began to gnaw at him. In John chapter 19, verse 30, we read that Jesus, as he was dying, he said, it is finished. What? What's finished? What just happened? And then, and then it began to dawn on him that by engineering Jesus' death, he had actually engineered his own destruction. You see, Satan, he, he knew nothing but greed, lust, self-promotion. And it, it did not enter his, into his mind that Jesus, that he would gladly and willingly take upon himself humiliation, poverty, that he would sacrifice himself in order to save his people. And it turned out that all of Satan's vicious deeds, which he did to oppose God's purpose in all the evil things that he did, he only ever helped to fulfill God's purpose. And so this morning, I want to take a moment and to think about that God's gracious purpose that was accomplished through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing to note this morning is to think about Abraham's sin and righteousness. Abraham's sin and righteousness. Now, as you noted in Romans chapter 4, Paul very carefully explains how Abraham received God's approval. And this is really important because God never changes. And we can only receive God's approval exactly the same way as Abraham. 
Now, even though several millennia separate us from Abraham, Abraham's human nature was like ours. His needs were same as ours. And he lived before that God before whom you and I live. And because of that, you know, you know, sometimes we hear this these days, right? You live your truth. <laughs> no, even though several millennia separate us, there is not his truth versus our truth. We, we need to be right with God. And the only way to be right with God is to experience what Abraham experienced. And that is why we need to learn from Abraham. And Paul puts into a focus the central issue in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works. Now, I know that uh, in the English Bibles that we read, it's not uh, obvious to see, but in the Greek language, the word justification and righteousness are basically the same words. So when you hear the New Testament in the Greek language or read it, you can escape the fact that justification and righteousness are speaking to the same reality. In that, to be justified means to have met all the righteous requirement of God's law. And that justified person stands in right relationship with God's law because he has kept all of God's righteous laws. And because he stands in right relationship with God's law, therefore he stands in right relationship with the giver of the law, with God himself. And so the question is this, the question that Paul is asking, for if Abraham was justified by works, and so the question is this, did Abraham receive God's approval because he radically changed his life and became a good person? Now, what's interesting is the fact, the very fact that Abraham needed to be justified reminds us, doesn't it, that he was a sinner. And when we read about Abraham in Genesis, we, we see clearly that his natural instinct is to act like a pagan. Abraham, no doubt, was a great sinner. And so how did that great sinner receive God's approval? Is it because he radically changed his life and demonstrated to God that he was a good person after all? And if that is the case, that's what Paul calls being justified by works, receiving God's approval because of what we have done and receiving God's approval because of the quality of the life that we have led. And if that's what happened, then Abraham has something to boast about. You see, I did it. But Paul says, not before God. You see, God did not approve Abraham because of his good life. What happened then? Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Paul is taking us back to Genesis chapter 15, where God uh, made Abraham a promise. And at that time, 
Abraham was about 100 years old. And we just read in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. Paul puts it rather bluntly, doesn't he? Abraham, being about 100 years old, was about as good as dead. But that's rather blunt. Um, now, for those of you who may be getting closer to that mark, 100 years, uh, this is no ageism, uh, as we hear about it these days. But it's simply pointing out the fact that Abraham and Sarah had tried their whole life to have children, but could not. You know, when you're young enough, you have hope for the future, and you persevere, and you press on. And I imagine that's what Abraham and Sarah did, when as young couple, they could not have children. They tried, they tried, they tried. As months turned to years, and years turned to decades, and they're pushing 100. And at this point, hope has become resignation, and perseverance has been replaced by that sense of bitter reality, it's not going to happen. And it is in that sense that they were as good as that, because as far as their future was concerned, as far as their hope of having children were concerned, Abraham was as good as dead. But then, just then, in Genesis chapter 15, we see that God comes to Abraham, and God says to Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. Have you ever stood up in the middle of the night, look up into the sky and see the stars? And God tells Abraham, a hundred-year-old man who has tried his whole life, everything he knew how to, to do, and he says, look up into the sky. Can you count the stars? So shall your offspring be. And we read, Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And as Paul explains uh, here, Abraham believed that God will give life to his body that was as good as that, and that he will have children. And it was that faith, that faith that was counted to him as righteousness. It's not the good things that he has done in his life. It's not any of his accomplishment, but trusting the promise of God. And it is that faith that changed Abraham's status as one who was in the wrong relationship with God's law before. But when he believed, he was changed, he was justified, and he was declared to be in the right relationship with God's law and with God himself. That is to say, Abraham's faith, not his life, his faith received God's approval. And with that, as the background, we come to verse 25. And there are two parts to verse 25. One, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, and he was raised 
for our justification. So let's look first that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. And notice verse 23 through 25, this is what we read. And this is why we read the entire chapter. And this is why we spent some time thinking about Abraham. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So as we just saw, Abraham trusted God to raise the dead. That is, in a manner of speaking, in a manner of speaking, a child given to a man who was as good as dead is life given to the dead. And in a manner of speaking, when God gave Abraham Isaac, in a manner of speaking, God restored a dead man to life. Now, to be sure, what happened to Abraham is not exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus did, was not as good as dead. He was dead. You see, he was struck and he was whipped. He was crucified. And all the people who stood around to watch him, they saw blood drain from his body and his face turned deathly pale and then green. And a soldier pierced his side and blood and water came from the side. And if soldiers know how to do anything, they know how to kill. And isn't it fascinating when we read from John chapter 20 this morning, these women who went to Jesus' tomb, these are some of the most devoted followers of Christ, those who most faithfully clung to the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus had told them repeatedly, I will die, and after three days I will uh, be alive again. I will be raised. But none of them believed. And on that morning, these women, they didn't go to Jesus' tomb to, to greet the risen Lord. They went to his tomb to say their final goodbyes, and they thought it was such a shame that Jesus didn't have a good burial. So they went to make sure that Jesus' body stayed put. <laughs> None of them were predisposed to believe in Jesus' resurrection because they saw with their eyes what happened to Jesus. Jesus did not, in a manner of speaking, die, and he was not as good as that. He was dead. But then the reality of resurrection hit them like a hammer. And they saw that the body that was mutilated and violated, the heart that had stopped beating three years ago, three days ago, revived. And Jesus was alive. And Jesus did not come back to life in a manner of speaking. He rose from the dead, really, literally, physically. So what happened to Abraham and what happened to Jesus are not exactly the same. Nevertheless, 
Abraham trusted God and trusted him to bring life to the dead. And what Abraham experienced prepares us to believe something even more glorious so that we too might know that we can be set right with God and receive God's approval, not because of anything that we do, but for believing that God raised Jesus from the dead. And just as Abraham was uh, declared righteous and justified and counted righteousness for believing the God who brings life to the dead, so you and I, we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And with that, we are justified. But before we get to that, we need to spend just a moment understanding his death. Notice it says here, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. In other words, you and I, we trespassed. We trespassed not property boundaries drawn on a map, but we trespassed God's holy and pure standards. We have defied the just demands of the Creator who is entitled to our loving and glad obedience. We have sinned, we have rebelled, we have turned from Him, and we cannot change our status as those who are in the wrong relationship with God's law and those who are in enmity against God. We cannot change that by the life that we live. Just a few weeks ago, we were looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 64 and how it said, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Isaiah does not say that all our sins are like polluted garment, but all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The best that we have to offer to God, the, what we consider to be our strengths and virtues, it is those things that are so utterly defiled with sin. That is to say, the best thing that we have ever done, the best thing that we can ever do are stained by sin, and they cannot ever bring God's approval upon us. And that is why it's not just the bad things that we have done, but the best things that we have done that, that make us worthy and deserving of God's wrath and judgment. But what we read here is that God in love provided for us a substitute. And Jesus in his grace received the judgment and the wrath that we deserve. And the Holy Spirit, he has created a bond of fellowship between Christ and the believers so that in that union our sins have been transferred to Jesus. And that is what Paul means when he says Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, and he died. Jesus went to the cross bearing your sins, and he suffered and died because of your sins. That is the love, that is the grace of God. But thanks be to God, the good news does not end with Jesus' death, because Paul tells us here that we are justified not only of the death of Jesus Christ, but we are justified because God raised Jesus from the dead. And so that brings us 
to our third and the last point. Jesus raised for our justification. Uh, in John chapter 19, verse 7, the Jews, um, they brought Jesus before Pilate. And they said, we have a law. And according to that law, he, Jesus, ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And so their accusation before Pilate was that this Jesus has sinned so greatly that he deserved to die. He had the audacity, he dared to, be, uh, to call himself the son of God, and he deserved for that great sin nothing less than death. And that was the pretense. That was the pretext for betraying Jesus to die. But what happened? God raised Jesus from the dead, and raising Jesus from the dead, God vindicated Jesus from every charge of sin. That is the significance of Jesus' resurrection. Though he died for our sins, God raises his son and he makes a declaration to the world that my son is innocent of all the charges against him. He is pure. He is righteous. He does not deserve to die as sinners do, but he deserves to live because he is the righteous one. And even his claim to be the son of God was not sinful because Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. And so God raised Jesus from the dead. But also, God raised Jesus from the dead that you and I, that you and I might believe and be justified. And like Abraham, we are declared to be in the right relationship with God's law and with God himself, not because of anything that we have done, but for believing in God who raised Jesus. And the fellowship that the Holy Spirit creates between Christ and the believers is so rich. There is a transfer that's taking in both directions. Our sins were transferred to Jesus, but when we were made Uh, by faith, one, united to Jesus, that faith unites us to Jesus and everything that belongs to Jesus becomes ours. And so the love that the Father has, has for his Son is now the love that he has for us. And all of Jesus' flawless holiness, you see, no temptation, no obstacle that Satan ever threw his way would ever stick. We're not like that. We have stumbled and that often. And yet when we are united to Jesus by faith, that flawless holiness and righteous, righteousness of Jesus is are credited to us, accounted as our very own righteousness. And Jesus does not leave us merely forgiven with a clean slate so that we can try our luck. Rather, you know, this is, the, this is the, the problem when people think that the gospel message is merely that Jesus died for me. You know, that is true. 
But if that's the entirety of the gospel message, Jesus died for me, my sins are forgiven, but what of my future? But the fact is that the gospel message does not end there. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose for our justification, meaning all of his righteousness are given to us so that before God, we are declared to be as righteous as Jesus because we are, in fact, given the very righteousness of Christ as our cover. And because Jesus rose from the dead, now you and I, we have confidence before God because the truth of the matter is that we, we remain weak and we stumble often. But the righteousness that covers us is greater than our sins. And so we never need to worry that our sin will once again separate us from God because the righteousness of Christ that covers us is greater than our sins. Oh, to have seen the look on Satan's face that morning, that Easter Sunday morning. Friday, Jesus died, was buried. Saturday, Satan's kingdom began to crumble. And that Easter Sunday, he was done. You see, because he, he did his worst against God, but in all his viciousness and evil deeds, uh, deeds that he did, he never managed to step, take one small step outside of God's sovereign, gracious, and loving purpose. And the worst that Satan ever did ever only contributed to God's greatest work. And loved ones, don't you see, that's how it is. Christ was raised from the dead. We have believed and we are declared righteousness. And that is why even in our weakness, we experience the power of God. Life Just a few evenings ago, one of my children said, life is hard. <laughs> and I said, yes. And I thought to myself, if only you knew. <laughs> life may and often does trouble us. And at times, we may even cry with pain. And then you look at Jesus on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you realize, wait, does Jesus know how I feel? Does Jesus know how much it hurts? And that's the union that we have with Jesus, that when Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he was expressing your anguish and my anguish. But more than that, Jesus rose from the dead. And even in his resurrection, we are one with him. And so, life may trouble us, 
And at times, we may be so broken. But the worst of this world can and will only ever serve God's loving purposes. Jesus rose from the dead. It changes everything. Jesus rose from the dead, and so shall I. Amen. Now let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank you that in your great love, you sent your Son, your only begotten Son, to be humiliated, to be opposed, to be injured, to, be, to suffer, to be rejected, and to die. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your grace, that you took upon yourself this calling not with reservation, not with regret, but gladly and willingly you went to the cross to die and to pay for our sins. And not only that, you rose from the dead that we too might rise out of our sin, our darkness, and live with you in glory. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have brought us to Jesus and that you have united us to Jesus, that in our sin we turn to him and he heals us. And in our sorrow, he comes to us and he comforts us. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray, receive our grateful thanks this morning. We thank you, we honor you, and we praise you. For Jesus, our Lord, crucified, died, and buried, and descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.